a fill-in form today. If you got your Bible, Second Corinthians chapter three, verse five. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from whom? It's from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. And that will be the doctrinal piece we'll look at today. What is the new covenant? It says it's not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives what? Life. You may be here this morning. You're breathing. I trust. If not, let me know. We'll get the AED out. You're breathing. Your heart's beating. And you believe you have life. But you may be here this morning and you have no life in you. Because the Bible makes it very clear that the Spirit gives life. Now, many of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ have life this morning. And that's phenomenal, and that's wonderful. But there's others here this morning, and I, I know many of you, and of course some are visiting. There's some of you here this morning that you don't have life in you yet. We're going to try and share with how that can take place this morning. I got a text this morning, and I'm uh, looking for a certain individual. I'm thinking he might be in the back right now. About 6.30 this morning, I got a text, and it's the kind of text I love to get. It was from one of our men. And he said, I've been looking out the window this morning, and I've been praying for souls to come to Christ today. Boy, that's, that just excites me. And it's like it, it, it got to me because our passion, our passion here is the same passion that Jesus Christ had. As we give the verses often, Luke 19 says, the Lord came, here's his mission, to seek and to save those who are lost. What does lost mean? It means people that don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior. You may be here this morning, and uh, we'll get to this a little bit later in the message this morning, but it's so important because in about uh, 40 minutes or so, we'll be taking communion together. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, you basically, you're not ready for communion yet. But if you place your faith and trust even this morning, you can be ready to share the cup and the, and the bread with us in, a, in a, a few moments. Everything revolves around knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It all does. Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. I mean, it, it, that's it. That's why we exist. First Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful and acceptable saying that Christ Jesus came to the world to do what? To save sinners. And uh, you say, well, pastor, are you putting yourself above uh, sinners? You're not. No, I'm a sinner. Every single one of us, when you're born, inherits that sin nature. You can't get away from it. And I want to take us once again, and we'll pray in just a moment, not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Folks, you can't make it on your own. There's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm a successful business person, and I, I've, I've never done this place my faith in Jesus thing that you're talking about, you're not successful. You might have money, you might have cars, you might have houses, you might have lands, but if you don't have Jesus, you're not successful according to what God's Word says. Now that, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Father, I pray now that as we open up the only book 
you've ever given us to read, the precious Word of God. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that as uh, um, at least one man told me, but I know many here pray the same prayer constantly. Lord, we want to see folks come to Christ. We want to see folks' lives changed and improved because of their relationship with the Lord Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would do that this morning. Father, for the rest that are here that know Jesus as their personal Savior, might you excite us with what we're going to look at this morning. Father, would you help each of us, starting right here in this pulpit, help us to humble ourselves this morning, to come and sit at your feet, so to speak, and hear exactly what you have for us this morning. Father, encourage us, excite us, motivate us, and we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to talk this morning about life in the Holy Spirit. You see, down at the the bottom of verse 6, it says what? But the Spirit gives life. If you don't have the Holy Spirit this morning, or if you're not walking in the Spirit, you are lacking life. You are lacking breath. You are lacking literal blood flow in your body because you're missing out on what God has for you. Now, I'm going to take a little bit longer introduction than I usually do, but I want to tell you a little bit some personal things and some things that happened this week. 30 years ago, and most of you know my daughter, Tabitha Trushan, was, of course, Tabitha Schmidt for lots of years before that varmint came and stole her. But uh, <laughs> 30 years ago, my daughter was 12 years old, and I could tell she was having some kind of physical issue. Something wasn't right. I believed I had a pretty good idea what I was going to hear someday. Uh, we finally, we were down in Florida. We came back home, and she'd been drinking excessively. She had lost a, a significant amount of weight, and I pretty much knew it was coming. What took her to the doctor, did the blood test, came back uh, that she had juvenile onset of type 1 diabetes. Now, I know others in this room have, uh, there's several others that uh, have gone through this. It's tough. And it usually hits, uh, she was 12 years old when her pancreas shut down. And uh, some others here, you can relate to that. Tabitha was the, uh, I mean, it was devastating. This was still, it, the science and the medical conditions have, uh, knowledge had increased some, but it was still pretty fresh uh, as to how to treat it. Many of you lost loved ones to those that had type 1 diabetes, and uh, diabetes, I always say it wrong, and uh, it's a tough disease. Tabitha was the first individual in uh, Wisconsin to be put on basically the uh, insulin pump, and uh, that was a big deal, so Children's Hospital kind of took her under their wing and got things going. Well, that was the, the, the start of things and challenges that Tabitha would face. 20 years ago... She gave me a bit of a challenge. I've talked a little bit about this in the past. She worked down at a Starbucks down on Ryan Road by the expressway, and she met this guy that she kind of got a little sweet on, and she said, I I need you to take you to my home and to meet my mom and dad. Now, Tabitha's a good Christian, and she knew that this individual that she was bringing to our house had to make a particular decision before she could date him. This individual, Richard Trushan, shows up at my house from 20 years ago. And many of you have heard this story.
Richard wasn't saved. In other words, he didn't know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He was a bit of a party boy. And uh, you know how much of a party animal I'm not. And uh, <laughs> he comes in the house and is uh, scared to death. Of course, I was with the sheriff's office back then. He claims I was cleaning a gun. That is not true. <laughs> not true. I invited him into our backyard, and I did have a weapon with me. It's called the sword. little New Testament that I took in the back with me. He, of course, being unsaved, thought I was going to tell him to keep your hands off, buddy. Never, never had to go there. Never did go there. I sat him down at uh, a table, and I started to talk to him kindly and nicely. And it's like, Richard, let, can I ask you a question? He said, sure, what is it? If you were to die right now, where would you go? That's when he said the gun came out. That's not true. <laughs> I said, Richard, if you were to die right now, where would you go? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, I, if I could show you from the Bible how you can know for sure when you died, you go to heaven. Can I do that for you? It just won't take that long. He said, yeah, I really would like to know that. I didn't know if he was sincere or not. He was dead sincere. And he sat there, and I opened up the Word of God, as I do with people and many of you that I've done the same thing with. We opened up the Word of God and began to go through what we call the gospel. He had no life in him. The Holy Spirit did not live in him because the Holy Spirit does not live in anyone unless they know Christ as their personal Savior. And I shared with him the four things that I share here almost every week, usually in the last couple minutes of a message. I want you to listen. There's people sitting here right now. You do not know if you died, you go to heaven. You don't know. I'm going to tell you exactly how you can know in the next couple of minutes. I go through this pretty much every weekend, and it's still some people, you, you struggle with it. You'll, it's like, man, I, I'm not getting it. And, and we'll talk, and it's like, but, but, but. Uh, there's always a ton of buts, but there's also only one truth, and that is the gospel. It's true. It's not something we make up here at the church. It's not something we pull out of the back of a hymnal. It's true. And here's the gospel. If you were to die right now, how do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you were to die, you'll go to heaven? Four quick things. Now listen, please. Number one, the Bible tells us that there's none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means I'm a sinner. You say, well, you're a pastor. How can you be a sinner? Because I was born with a sin nature, the same as you. We're all sinners. We've all done wrong. The unfortunate thing the Bible tells us, because I've sinned, if I got what I deserved, if you got what you deserve. Romans 6.23 says, the wages are what we've earned because we've sinned is death. Not just physical death when you die, but spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. Revelation 21.8. You say, well, that's not very good news. It's not. It's horrible news. It's devastating news. It's news that should make you cringe. Right now, there's people, and I don't know who you are, but I know you're in the room this morning. Right now, you're saying, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. I know I've sinned. I know I deserve eternal separation from God in an awful place called the lake of fire hell, and I don't want to go there. That's good. I don't want you to go there either, and neither does the Lord. Now, please listen. Number three, 
Bible says next that Jesus Christ loves you. Do you understand that, folks? Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you so much that God himself, Jesus Christ, leaves heaven's glory, comes down with some 33 years, and goes to a cross. Why would God take on a human body and go to a cross? Why would he do that? Because he loves you. That's why he did it. And Jesus Christ goes up on that cross and takes all of our sins on his back and pays, listen now, he paid for your sin on that cross. You see, you have no ability to pay for that, pay for your sin. You cannot do it. It's impossible. And God said the only way that your sins can be forgiven, the only way that in a few moments that we can rejoice and take the blood, if you will, record or symbolized by the grape juice and his body symbolized by uh, the wafer that we'll take, the only way that your sins can be forgiven this morning, the only way that you can be sufficient in God is to realize what Jesus did for you. He died for you. He was buried. And three days later, what happened, folks? Rose from the dead, victorious from the grave. You say, well, I've known that. I knew that when I came in here. I knew those three things. But here's what you didn't know. Here's what you haven't gotten. Here's what you haven't grasped. God has a free gift for you this morning. If you've not already taken it, here's the free gift. Just in a, a, a few moments ago, you watched as uh, some of the guys came around and they handed a gift to several people. This was and is a gift. No cost. Nothing to do, didn't have to do anything, but to get a gift, what do you do? You reach out and you take the gift. You just take it. And God has that free gift that he wants to give you this morning, which is called eternal life. Eternal life is only begotten by one thing. You already understand the three reasons why you need to do step number four, which is what you're missing. Now, if you're here and you don't and you couldn't answer the question in the affirmative, if I were to die this morning, I don't know for sure if I died, I go to heaven. Get number four. This is the answer, and it's Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God not of your works, lest any person should boast. You say, what does that mean? All right, let's break it down quickly. For by grace are you saved. What does that mean? Grace simply means a free, unmerited gift. I don't deserve that gift. You don't deserve the gift. But he holds it out this morning to you and says, will you take it? For by grace, God's free, unmerited gift, are you saved? Well, what does saved mean? Saved means we're saved from our sin. We're saved from the penalty of sin. We're, we're saved from an eternity separated from God in an awful place called hell or the lake of fire. For by grace are you saved through faith. Wait a minute. Did you hear the word? I didn't say by your good works. 
I didn't say by how good a person you are. I didn't say by if you go to church or not. I didn't say by if you take holy communion or catechism or do any other of a million things that people say you must do in order to get to heaven. And some preachers do. And some priests do. And many, if not all, religions tell you that. And no wonder you're confused, right? How do I get to heaven? And Jesus gives you the answer for by grace. God's free, unmerited gift are you saved through faith. It is not of yourself. You can do nothing, nothing except one thing. Believe on what Jesus did for you this morning. Take that free gift. Oh, my dear friend, if you're here this morning, there's nothing more important right now than to fulfill the mission that God has for your life, which is to receive that free gift of eternal life. I did that back when I was a teenager. God saved me. He wants to save some of you this morning, too, that you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ. Are you ready? You say, I, I, I never heard anything like that before. I've been told I have to work and do my best. And God says, what? For by grace are you saved. It's through faith, and it's not of yourself. It's that gift of God, not of our works, lest any person should boast. What's he saying? When God brings you, if you've trust Christ up to heaven, he doesn't want to hear about how good you are. He doesn't want to hear about, well, I did this and I did that, and what does he want to hear? I sent my son down. He died on the cross for your sins. He gave his life for you. Would you honor my son by receiving him this morning? In just a moment, we're going to stop the service. We're going to pray. There's people right now in this room. You need to get saved this morning. What do you mean by saved? You need to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You need to accept that free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in him. I know there's folks here that need to do that. I may not know who you are, but I know you're here this morning. I know that text I got at 6.30 this morning from my dear friend who said, I'm praying that folks will come to Jesus this morning. I want, to, I want you to be that answer to his prayer this morning. I want that so much for you. It's not for me, it's for you. We're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to stop the service, and I'll continue with the message. But if you want to take communion in a few minutes with us, it starts right now with you receiving that free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you. Are you ready? The Holy Spirit, I trust, is going to move this morning. Would you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Father, I pray now in this sacred moment that, dear God, that you do something miraculous in this room this morning. I pray that as my dear friend has been praying this morning, as others have been praying this morning, as we're praying right now, Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would move through this auditorium and do what only you can do. Father, I don't know who it is or who they are, but I believe this morning that there's folks here that need to place their faith and trust in you. And Father, I pray that you'd work in their hearts and minds this morning as they realize, yes, I am a sinner. No, I can't go to heaven on my own. I know that. But I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. And I'm accepting that free gift of eternal life this morning. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed, please. I want to ask you a question. Is that you this morning? Are you the one that my dear friend was praying for this morning? He doesn't know your name. He won't know your face. 
But you're here this morning, you're saying, yes, I need to trust Jesus this morning. I want to accept the free gift of eternal life. I'm going to ask you to do one thing and one thing only, and I promise I won't embarrass you, I won't call you out. But here's what I would like to do. I would like to pray for you, and you say, well, how are you going to know how to pray for me? I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. Would you slip your hand up nice and high and say, Pastor Rich, would you pray for me this morning? I'll acknowledge it. You can put your hand back down, and we'll continue with the service. Right now, those who are trusting Christ, slip your hand up nice and high so I can see it. Let me pray for you this morning. God bless you three folks right here. You can put your hands down. Others this morning. I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Lift it up nice and high. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it back down. Anyone else this morning? I'm trusting Christ. Anyone else nice and high? I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you change hearts. You change lives. Father, I pray for these three this morning. Lord, would you bless them? Would you strengthen them? Would you help them to grow in their walk with you? Lord, this is what it's all about, folks coming to Christ and then helping them to grow in their walk with him. Father, bless these folks now. Lord, as we rejoice with them, as the angels of heaven rejoice every time a sinner comes to Christ, and we rejoice this morning, and all God's people said, amen. You say, Brother Rich, is, is this the real deal? Do you really care as much as you appear to? No, I'm not an actor. This is the real deal, folks, because this is what changes lives. Twenty years ago, Tabitha brought Richard Trushan home. I took him out in the back. I went through the gospel. I've, I, I, you rarely see somebody come to Christ this quick. And uh, I began to uh, go through it, and everything I asked, he answered in the right way. And uh, he told me afterwards, some years later, he's like, man, Pops, he's like, I, I, I was ready. It's like you, you, you didn't believe me, and, and, and you kept asking questions, and he's like, I want to trust Christ, and I, and I don't know what to do. And it took you so long to get to the punchline, and I said, well, I guess I didn't trust you at the time, buddy. And uh, <laughs> finally he bowed his head with me, did something similar to what we just did here this morning, placed his faith and trust in Christ, and I rejoiced, and I didn't know if it was a uh, if he trusted Christ because he he uh, trusted Christ or because he was trying to marry my daughter, that little stinker. But uh, uh, he truly trusted Christ, and he got on fire for God, and uh, he fell deeply in love with Tabitha. Tabitha fell in love with him, and uh, the results of all that are in about one, two, three, the fourth row. There, all the true shine young folks, stand up, please, stand up. I want to see you. All my granny kids, there they are. Thank you, guys. Sit down already. <laughs> Tabitha, I, uh, I didn't. By the way, all this, if, if you're trying to get the nexus here, we're talking about the sufficiency of God this morning and how he takes care of things. Tabitha wanted to be a missionary. We packed up her bag, sent her off to Budapest, Hungary, to go to the Word of Life Institute. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung happened to be one of the professors there. This was before I knew him. He would later become one of my close friends and mentors. She went off to Budapest to go to Word of Life Bible Institute, and I wanted Richard to stay away from her for a year while she's in Budapest. 
Well, Richard got fired up about serving God, and he's like, I need to go to Bible school. Now, he had a bachelor's degree from a university, but he's like, man, where's Tabitha at? Where's, she went to Budapest, Hungary for a Bible Institute, right? I says, yes, you stay here and work, buddy. <laughs> well, that stinker gets a hold of Word of Life in Budapest. They accepted him, and guess where he ended up? I'm like, oh, boy, this isn't going the way I planned. And that's a good thing, by the way. My plans are not God's plans. Richard ended up going to Budapest with Tabitha. They were there for a year at Bible Institute. Eighteen years ago in a church not too far from here, I stood where I'm standing right now. The, after I walked my daughter down the aisle and gave Richard Trushan her hand, and I came up here and married the two of them, and again, all those young'uns are part of that uh, get-together. Five, five wonderful young people. Richard has a passion for ministry. He didn't want to quit. He still wanted more Bible school, so he signed up to get a master's degree at Calvary, Baptist, or Calvary Bible University in Kansas City. Those young people can tell you that Daddy spent the last two and a half, three years working every single night. You watched their heads bobbing. It looked like a bunch of bobbleheads back there. <laughs> Praying for Daddy and not getting to spend much time with him, nor did Tabitha, as he spent close to three years studying the Word of God. And I say, well, why go to Bible school? Folks, there's no way on earth you can get trained by just coming to church if you want to get a complete Bible school. It would take you a lifetime to get through the Bible and all the 12 major doctrines of Scripture just come to church. So he knew if he was going to serve God in the ministry, he needed to get somewhere where he would get concentrated, uh, get through the entire Bible, get through all the major doctrines and all the things that it takes to prepare for ministry. Friday, I got up at 4 a.m. Now, folks, that's a big deal, let me tell you. Valerie and I, because, and, and, and again, forgive the long personal thing this morning, but hopefully it helps you about the sufficiency of God. Valerie and I get up, and we work ministry, usually until about 9 o'clock every single night, 10 o'clock sometimes. We sit down uh, together every single night. We're together, except uh, one night. Happened to have been this Saturday night. We spend an hour or two sitting together every single night. We usually go to bed about midnight, get, get some sleep, get up, and I mean, it's ministry. We just eat, drink, sleep ministry. Most of you uh, have no idea that uh, you're like, well, you show up on a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, that's no big deal. Folks, I preach minimum six times a week, up to 16 to 18 times a week between radio, TV, church, and other events. We're at it. All the many different ministries that are here. And it's not about me this morning. It's just to say, we're at it. We don't take this lightly. Friday morning, got up at 4 a.m., got on a plane to go to Kansas City. Got a rental car, zipped off to... Calvary University for the awards banquet where the final award, 
I had to sit through all that to finally get to the final award where Richard Trushan graduated with a 4.0 with his master's in Bible and theology after three-some years of grueling, torturous work to get that diploma. Saturday morning we got up, and I watched him and about 65 other folks walk across the platform to receive their degrees. Got on a plane about uh, 6 o'clock last night and began the trek back home, and here we are again. You say, well, you've been a busy little boy. That's life, and you have the same kind of life, most of you. But God is sufficient. You see, Richard Trushan, God's sufficient. When you're working and you have five children and 25 dogs that they have, and all the rest of the things that mom and dad do in the two and three jobs that they sometimes work just like many of you. And you're trying to raise your kids and you're trying to build your families and, and you're trying to advance, uh, uh, if you will, what you're doing. And, and you go through hard times and tough times and sickness comes and heartaches come and life gets in the way and mom and dad get sick and things take place and death enters in sometimes and you're wondering, is God sufficient? Can he get me through these tough times? Well, very quickly, we're going to examine the marvelous provision and power God has prepared for those who yield to him. Now, I'm going to bring up, and I said I was going to talk about this young lady right here. Now, was this week the accident happened? This young lady got hit by a semi this week. If you saw, she's a, a little bit banged up. But she's here this morning, and is this your dad or your dad? And uh, obviously a good friend sitting on your uh, left there, right? So good to see you, folks. God bless you. So happy you're here this morning. I'm not going to tell you who raised their hand this morning, but I think I got a hold of somebody this week. (laughs) God got a hold of them. Probably scared you half to death, folks, didn't it? And here you are. And I think they got life this morning. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from whom? It's God. Listen, folks, whether you're a rich or true son, whether you're someone that's just gone through a tragedy, whether there's something that happened that gave you a major wake-up call, whether you've just been through a horrific accident that could have taken your life, and many of you have been there, and all of a sudden you look up and it's like God is sufficient. There's nothing else in this world that can get you through the hard times and the tough times and the troublesome times. And Paul looked out and he said uh, uh, the Corinthians were giving him a tough time. The ministry was tough. The ministry was hard. And life was hard. And he was beat up and he was persecuted. And he was left for dead multiple times. And many of you are struggling with life today. And God says, I am sufficient. And he is you go through those tough times, when you have no idea where the next dollar is coming from, when you have no idea if you're going to live, 
through whatever malady that has come your way. And God says he is sufficient. He's the all-sufficient one. Listen, if you are trusting in anything besides Christ this morning, you're missing it. You just are. You can not succeed on your own. And I'm not talking about money and wealth. I'm talking about life. You cannot make it in this world without Christ. We often go to these verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you don't know them, boy, I highly recommend you memorize these things. I don't tell you to memorize a lot, but boy, these ones are life-changing. Trust in the who? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not part of it. Not some of it. Not, well, maybe. Trust in the Lord with every fiber of your being, everything that you do, all your heart. Listen, when those tough times come, what do you want to do? You want to trust in yourself. All of a sudden, it's like, well, what am I going to do? And especially guys, we got to fix stuff. And it's like you trust in the Lord with every piece of your heart. You pour yourself out and lean not on your own understanding. Your understanding will cause you to fail. It will. Don't trust in yourself. In all your ways. Oh, did you ever hear the verse, pray without ceasing? Why does God ask us to pray without ceasing? You see, because every single thing we do, what does a child do? Mommy, Daddy, I need your help. Would you, whatever it is for me? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell it. We're in the airport yesterday, and uh, there was a gentleman sitting uh, in the, before we got on the plane, there was another man sitting across from me big old boy, and uh, had a nice Ruger t-shirt on, and he said he was a fisherman, so I asked him if uh, he fished with a Ruger, and uh, he laughed. Uh, Ruger, by the way, for those of you that don't know, is a gun, and uh, so we chit-chatted a little bit, and then uh, the plane showed up, and a little family got off the plane. Little, probably five, six-year-old girls comes off, and does what most kids do and says, Mommy, I gotta go to the body real bad. And the guy says, Wait till you get old. And uh <laughs> Mommy, I need to go to Do you okay, adults, do you have to ask somebody if you can go to the bathroom? No. The fragileness of a child in public right before me and everyone else. Mommy, I got a need. I got to go to the washroom. And what does mommy do? All right, let's go. And mama takes her. And, and you're like, well, that's so simple. That's, that's simple. Folks, I, what I'm saying here is every single thing you do, pray without what? Ceasing. It's like you put your focus on Christ and every single thing you do from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed and you ask God to help you. It's like, how am I going to get through my business? How am I going to get through my school? How am I going to get through my relationship with my family? How am I going to raise my kids? How am I going to survive in this tough world? And God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. I also always get asked uh, uh, during the week, people say, how do I know uh, uh, what I should do? 
Well, number one, do this, trust in the Lord. Number two, where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of what? Counselors, there is safety. Now, I'm not talking about making an appointment to go see a counselor. What it's talking about here, a multitude of people that you trust. We've talked about this many times. Folks, I never make a major decision ever without talking to my wife, without talking to several men that I trust and care about and that have great influence in my life. I highly suggest you do the same. Because we don't, you're like, well, I prayed and God told me what to do. No, you did not pray and God did not tell you what to do. Now, he might have put something in your mind, but boy, get that multitude of counselors. Make sure you're making the right decision. Don't count on one thing. Listen, if, unless you see Jesus walk in the door, set you down and say, do this, which you're not going to see right now, it's not going to happen. Jesus does not walk into rooms, sit you down and say, okay, here's, what I, here's got my plan for your life. You pray, you seek God, you read his word, and then you use other people that you trust and know have a godly, godly lifestyle, and you ask them, and in the multitude of counselors, there indeed is safety. Well, let's get to the doctrinal part, and then we'll have communion. The ministry of the new covenant. What is the new covenant? I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to go, this is a very heavy doctrinal piece right now when we're talking about the new covenant. You see, back in Jeremiah chapter 31, God gave the new covenant to Judah and Jerusalem, the Jewish people. And the original writings in Jeremiah, one of four unconditional covenants that God gave to the Jewish people. Now, I'm going to rapidly go through it, and then we're going to see that God's going to develop a piece here whereby you, what does he say in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 6? He said what? Who has also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, speaking of the Mosaic law, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. All right, so now I need you to put on your, uh, put on your Bible school hats for a few minutes because we're going to get a little deeper than what we just went through. Jeremiah 31, behold, and, and of course this is written hundreds of years before Christ now. This is a prophetic piece. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new what? A new covenant or a new testament, and not speaking of the Bible testament, but a covenant, a testament with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, folks, are those Jews or Gentiles? They're Jews. So he's writing an unconditional covenant to the Jewish people, not according to the covenant, speaking of the Mosaic covenant, that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. So God gave the 613 commandments of the Mosaic law to the Jewish people. And God said, I want you to follow it, even though he, they knew they couldn't. And he documents it here. So he's talking about this new covenant. Well, what is the benefits of that new covenant? But this is the covenant that I will make. Verse 34, I'm sorry, uh, 33. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. When is this going to happen? Because it hasn't happened yet. This happens after uh, uh, what we call uh, uh, the rapture of the church, which is the next major event on God's prophetic calendar. And uh, boy, I wish we had more time, but I don't to go through all this. I know some of this, this is new to some folks here. 
Those of you that have been here for years know what we're talking about. The next major event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture, when God takes one generation of believers up to heaven. One generation. Immediately after that, there'll be a seven-year horrible time of tribulation on this earth, preparing for what Jeremiah is talking about, the return of Jesus Christ to rule and reign on this earth for what we call the millennial kingdom or 1,000 years, Revelation 21 to 7. He's talking about the blessing that's going to come underneath this concept of the new covenant. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. That hasn't happened yet. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now there's more. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. Now we've talked about this once or twice. Jeremiah is going to tell in the next verse how to get rid of the Jewish people. And some of you are laughing because you know the punchline. Hitler tried to walk, wipe out the Jewish people back in the 1940s. He managed to exterminate 6 million people, close to 50%, maybe 60% of all the Jews that lived at that time. Hitler did it wrong because God told him the formula as to how to get rid of the Jewish people, and it's in verse 36. He just talked about the sun, the moon, and the stars. He says, if those ordinances, or if the sun, the moon, and the stars depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me. What's God saying? He's saying, listen, if you can get the sun, the moon, and the stars out of the sky, if you have the ability to uh, uh, stop them from shining, then I'll get rid of the Jewish people. What's God saying? I'm not getting rid of the Jewish people. They are my loved ones. They are my precious possession. They are the apple of my eye. I'm extremely jealous over them, he tells us in Zechariah. Thus says the Lord of heaven above can be measured. And the foundations of the earth searched out beneath. I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all they have done, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that the city shall be built for the Lord from the tower of Hanael to the corner gate. Now, we've got to move forward. What's he saying? God gave the new covenant to whom? In this, in this text, who did he give it to? Judah and Jerusalem. It's one of the four major unconditional covenants that God gave to the Jewish people. The first being the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, 1 uh, uh, through 3. The land covenant, Deuteronomy 31 to 5. The Davidic covenant, which promised Jesus Christ will be the Messiah and rule on this earth for eternity. And uh, not on this earth, but in the new heavens, the new earth, new Jerusalem. The Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, 6 to 16. And then now the new covenant, which is Jeremiah 31, 31 to 40. That was given to the Jewish people. But wait. In 2 Corinthians 3, 6, now he's talking about we are sufficient ministers of the new covenant. God expanded certain blessings that he had given to the Jews only to you. Mark chapter 14. And this goes right into what we'll be doing in a moment when we celebrate communion together. Then he, Jesus, took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, his disciples, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is the, my blood of the what? The new covenant. Now, by the way, what were the people that Jesus was ministering to at this time, Gentiles or Jews? Specifically to the Jews at this point. 
So, okay, but we've expanded now. We're talking about going from this unconditional covenant to Judah and Jerusalem. Now we fast forward thousand years, well, close to a thousand years later, and Jesus is, this is the blood of the new covenant. Now, uh, for those of you that are a little more into the scholarly realm, uh, you'll see a whole bunch of different commentaries on the concept of what is taking place here. 90% of them will say, well, we're, we're, Jesus is now bringing in elements that were promised to the Jewish people that now we're going to be benefactors of. So let's move on because we've got to go quickly. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, now catch this verse. I, Jesus, said, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new, where? In the what? In the kingdom of God. When's the next time Jesus comes to this earth? After the rapture, after the seven-year tribulation, Jesus comes back physically, bodily to rule and reign where? On this earth. The Jewish people understood that. They understood that Jesus was going to set up what? The kingdom. He's not talking about heaven, which some teach, which is false. The Jewish people were looking for what? A kingdom on this earth. Luke chapter 22, likewise, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is what? He hadn't died yet. He hadn't been crucified yet. Jesus was setting the stage that God's people, those who place their faith and trust in him, would be inheriting something associated with the new covenant. Now we go to Paul. The church age is begun. The church people are just the same as you. And what does he say? And this we read every time before we take communion, or virtually every time. 1 Corinthians 11, in the same manner, he, Jesus, also took the cup. Paul is rehearsing what Jesus had done years earlier. Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is what? The new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And now we cap it all off with today's text. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made who? Us. Sufficient of the new covenant. How did God seal that new covenant? Well, Jesus himself says, it came when I shed my blood on the cross, and now, my dear friends, we have certain aspects of the blessing that originally was given to the Jewish people that we now enjoy under the what? The new covenant. Not in the letter. Folks, you are not under the law. And all God's people said? I mean, we're not under the law, but you are under, if you will, the gospel of the grace of God. Why? Because the Mosaic law, what? It kills. It doesn't make people alive. How do you come alive? We'll end with this. You get alive through the Spirit. The letter, speaking of the Old Testament Mosaic law, kills. Nobody gets to heaven by following the law. Nobody. Every single one of us, just like those that place their faith and trust in Christ this morning, it comes from what? It comes from the Spirit. You see, when you place your faith and trust in Christ, what happens? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says that we are all placed or baptized, not by water, but by the Spirit, placed into, immersed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Do you have life this morning? Do you have the Holy Spirit that's living in you? 
1 Corinthians chapter 3.16, if you placed your faith and trust in Christ, tells us the Spirit lives where? You say, I don't feel him, I don't see him. Oh, you feel him, all right. Every time you do something wrong, you know what you feel? The conscience goes off. Every time you know you do something right, the Holy Spirit will give you a little bit of a thrill inside. I don't know how he does it, but he does, and you've been there if you've trusted Christ. Isn't it wonderful? Folks, do you have life in yourself this morning? You see, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 gave it to the Jewish people. Jesus Christ comes on the scene and ratifies that new covenant, giving certain blessings to God's people today. And the apostle Paul says what? The letter kills, but we're ministers of the new covenant, which was secured at the cross of Christ. We're going to end there today. Are you ready to take communion? Are you ready to rejoice in your Savior this morning? Are you ready to, uh, uh, if you will, take a few moments and do as 1 Corinthians chapter 11? If you will, let's turn to that very quickly, go through the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And gentlemen, I'm going to ask you to bring the plates forward, please. Now, most of you received uh, a cup when you entered the door. But if not, uh, the men will come in just a moment. If you didn't get one, we'll make sure you get one. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. In my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now here's the warning, and this is the warning I gave when we opened up this morning. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man or woman examine themselves. Why? And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. While I'm reading, please raise your hand if you need a cup, and the men will be happy to get you one. Thank you, men. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. What's God saying? God is making it very clear. Only God's people, as we said at the beginning, Every single person, whether you're visiting for the first time, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to sit at the table together. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, doesn't matter where you're from, no matter if you came across the sea today, you're welcome at God's table if you placed your faith and trust in him. But he's like, before you open up that cup, and by the way, for those of you that have problems with fingernails or fingers, you might want to start working on that top lid. It's a little hard to get off. Get the bread loose. Don't eat till we'll, we'll eat together in a moment. What's he saying? Are you right with God this morning? Are you living for him? Christian, are you living for Jesus? If there's something in your life that you know isn't right, we're going to take a moment. I got uh, uh, Paul, Neil, and Steve Brown will come and pray in just a moment. If there's something in your life that you need to make right, how about I don't want to be sick. I don't want to be weak. And the dead sure don't want to sleep, which talks about death because I'm being disobedient to him. So if there's something in your life that you need to clean up, Christian, how about doing it right now? We're going to bow. We're going to be silent just for a moment, give you a chance to humble yourself before the Lord and prepare for the cup or the bread, and then we'll take the cup together.
Would you pray for silently for just a moment? If you have nothing to get right with him, then how about thanking him for who he is and what he's done for you? And let's rejoice in the Lord this morning.